Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. 2 Samuel divides nicely into three main sections. Chapters 1, Through 10, we find David's triumphs. Chapter 13 through 24, we have David's troubles. And 11 through 12, we have David's trials. 1 through 10, David's triumphs. 11 and 12, David's trials. 13 through 14, David's troubles. Triumphs, trials, and trouble. That is the entire book of 2 Samuel. As we come to chapters 21 through 24, these chapters, and I need you to hear me here, otherwise you're not going to be totally lost the rest of the evening. These chapters are not in chronological order. They're kind of written more like like, uh, memoirs, if you will. They look back over the early years in David's reign. These last four chapters are kind of wrapping up things. So we're going to read tonight stories that we've already read, that we've already studied. Again, it's just kind of capsizing, not necessarily in chronological order. You'll see that. And the overarching theme, this is interesting, the overarching theme in chapters 21 through 24 is the mercy of God. I find it interesting that in the last chapters of 2 Samuel, after all the battles and all the ups and downs and all the trials and triumphs and troubles of David in these last four chapters, God talks to us largely, I'll be talking to you over the next several weeks about the mercy of God. That's just really interesting. I've titled this sermon, Where Mercy Reigns, Where Mercy Reigns. Second Samuel chapter 21, saints, if you're with me tonight, say Amen. Now, there was a famine in, verse 20, in chapter 21, verse 1. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is because, y'all looking at verse 1? It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he did what, saints? He killed the Gibeonites. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. There was a famine in the land for three years, year after year. Now, listen, you know, if you know your Bibles, you know your Old Testament, you know. uh, Famines are not unusual. Famines are not new in Israel. But this famine was different because this famine was a three-year famine. It was year after year for three years. It was a three-year drought. And the first year of the famine, maybe David thinks it will get better soon. Maybe David's thinking global warming. Maybe he's thinking carbon footprint. 
Maybe he's thinking solar flares. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, but he's thinking it's going to get better. Well, then the second year comes around and the famine continues. Maybe David thinks it's got to get better. But then after the third year, David realizes something is very wrong. Something is going on because David realized that this is not normal and this is not God. Why? Because David knew. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write down just a few words here. David knew God and David knew that God was a covenant keeping God and that God promised to provide for his people that God promised to take care of his people. So this drought didn't make sense. And anybody who knew their Bible would immediately think something's wrong because famine, military defeat, and pestilence always spoke of a, or or was a warning from God. Say it that way. Did you hear me? Famine, military defeat, and pestilence was always a warning from God that Israel, his people, stay with me tonight. You'll you'll get it at the end. Israel, they were out of covenant with him. Famine, military defeat, and pestilence always spoke of the fact that Israel, God's people, were out of covenant with him, and the covenant curses would then come into play. What do you mean, Pastor Rodney? Well, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 18 through 20. And after all this, the Bible says... If you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will note the saints, make your heavens like iron. That's a drought. Are you with me? And your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So David is probably thinking every man, woman, boy, and girl is under a curse. Something is wrong. So they're thinking this is a curse. David wisely, notice the Bible tells us, David wisely inquired of the Lord. Some of your Bible says David sought the Lord. The phrase seek the Lord is an interesting phrase because it means to seek his presence. It means to seek his presence. The word presence speaks of or means face. Presence means face. So to seek the face of the king is what it means to seek the Lord. It means to call up and make an appointment to see the CEO. It means to go ahead and try to get an audience with the king. It means a personal movement towards someone in a high position. David takes the initiative to seek the Lord because something is wrong and he wants God's help. You know, we all know people, or do you know people who say, I don't want to pray, like they're going through a trial. And they say, I don't, I don't want to pray because I don't want to be that guy that prays only when I need God. Or I don't want to pray like a foxhole prayer, they call it. Listen, God has no problem with you pr- praying a foxhole prayer. God wants you to pray when you need him. Y'all say a better amen than that. God wants you to pray when you need him. That's the time to pray. That's the time to seek the Lord because many times God will allow you to get in a foxhole. God will allow you to come to desperate times so you will wisely seek the Lord and call out to him. David is a king. He's seeking to have a meeting with the king of kings. David prayed and sought the Lord. Look at verse 1. And the Lord, what did he do, saints? Uh-huh. Y'all reading the same Bible I am? Look at verse 1. And the Lord did what, saints? 
He answered. God will always answer when you pray. Jeremiah, thank you, Grandma. I'm a priest of you. Yes, he will. God will always answer. Jeremiah 29, 13, memory verse. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I've always said the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the matter of the heart is what's important. God wants us to be seekers of him with our whole heart, not seekers of theology and not seekers of knowledge, but searching for him with your whole heart and to have a living, loving, personal relationship with Jesus. That's important. One year, two years, three years, David inquired of the Lord and God answered. And we're not told exactly how he answered. God said, David, watch this. Look at it again. Verse one, David, it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Now, I'm sure when David heard this, it was like, you know, chill ran down his back. When he heard it, it was because of the attack against the Gibeonites. I'm sure a chill ran up his spine because 40 years earlier, you might want to write that down next to verse 1. 40 years earlier, Saul attacked and killed the Gibeonites. Hold your finger here. Go with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua 9 and uh, just uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua Judges, you go to Judges, go too far, come back. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua 9, I'll just get your proofs, we won't have time to read it. Joshua 9, Joshua is in Canaan, the promised land, right? And they're having great victories. The people of God are having great victories. The Bible says that the people who live there in the promised land, their hearts were melting because of fear of Israel. God told Israel to wipe everyone out. You know that when they got into the land. So the Gibeonites devised a plan to spare their lives. And they came to Joshua. I want you to just kind of peruse right around verse uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, right in there. They came to Joshua and they said, we've come from a far country. Yeah, look at verse 6. They said, see, we got moldy bread and we got old wineskins. We've got worn out sandals. And they're acting like they traveled a long way when they actually live right around the corner. And they said, we are your servants. Look at verse 11. They said, we are your servants. Make a covenant with us. So Joshua, listen, saints, not knowing makes a covenant with them not to kill them. Now, this was compromise on Joshua's part because Joshua didn't stop and pray and Seek the Lord for direction. And that's a word for us all, isn't it? Watch out for the landmine of compromise. Watch out for the, that's a good way to say it. Thank you, Lord. That's watch out for the landmine of compromise. Somebody once said the deceptive power of compromise is among the greatest threat to any believer. That is very true. We think that it's the big sins that are the greatest threat. Nope. It's one small step in the wrong direction. That's called compromise. Hmm? Watch out for compromise. Again, it's not the big sins. Because the big sins, you go, oh, no, I definitely won't go there. Oh, no, when Jesus comes, I don't want to be caught in that place. I'll never go there. Or I don't want to be seen doing this if Jesus were to come or somebody from church were to see me. I don't want to be, oh, no, I'll never do that. 
But it's the small things. Y'all awake tonight? It's the small stuff that compromise, little things, little things, just little steps in the wrong direction. Little words, little thoughts. Take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bring it down. Be ready to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It's the little things, the little areas of compromise that really gets you. It's a little bit, you think a little bit won't hurt. I can handle this. No, compromise is like a little bit of rat poison. Write that down. A little bit of rat poison is just as bad as a lot of rat poison, period. Even a little bit is dangerous and deadly. Joshua didn't pray, and he walked right into compromise. And when Joshua found out who they really were, he already made the covenant. So Joshua decided to make them slaves. Look at chapter 9, Joshua 9. Look at, mm, look at verse 23, Joshua 9, 23. He made them cutters. Yeah, verse 23. He made them cutters of wood and carriers of water for the house of the Lord or for the temple. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, when we compromise and we make a terrible mistake, what do you do? Here's what you do. You put those things to work for you. Let those things be a lesson and a teaching tool for your Christian growth. Let those past failures be cutters of wood and carriers of water. Let those past failures be an altar in your heart. And you won't do that again. Let those past failures bring living water to your spirit. Joshua made a covenant and God honored that covenant. Look at verse one again. And the reason for the famine is of because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. Joshua made a covenant. Watch the saints. Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites not to kill them. Saul broke that covenant and killed the Gibeonites. Now, the problem wasn't just that Saul killed the Gibeonites. The problem was also that Saul killed the Gibeonites and he broke the covenant. Are you with me? He killed the Gibeonites and he broke the covenant. Saints, listen, God is into covenant. And if God makes a covenant or God makes a promise, he will keep it. He keeps his word. Amen. And God expects us to keep our covenants, to keep our word. God keeps his promises. He expects us to keep our promises. And he expects nations to keep their promises. God holds us accountable if we give our word to somebody. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know that. God honors covenant. And you should be glad about that. Because he made a covenant with us. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant that says if you come to him through Jesus, you'll be part of a better covenant that will forgive you, that God will forgive you and cleanse you. In our text, God holds Saul and his house accountable because they broke their covenant and slaughtered the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were in the territory of Benjamin. Saul's great-grandfather, watch this. Saul's great-grandfather was an ancestor of the Gibeonites. So Saul is in effect slaughtering his own people. And the implication is Saul killed wholesale the Gibeonites, not 20,000 of them, not 30, not 40,000 of people. He killed everyone. Notice, let's move forward. Wow. Let's move forward. Look at verse 
two. So the king, (laughs) y'all pray for me. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites, we got to pick up. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul, underline this, Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Judah, for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we have no silver, we will have no silver or gold or, or, or from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And so he said, whatever you say, I'll do it. And they answered, and they said, King, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that would be Saul that we should be destroyed for remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Here it is. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Notice, stop right there. Saul killed the Gibeonites, and he killed them in his zeal for the children of Israel. Saul did it to please the people. Saul did it to please the people, not to please the Lord. The text says that. I'm not making that up. It says in his zeal for the children of Israel. He did it to please the people, not to please the Lord. Everything that Saul did, he did it to please people. Saul was a people pleaser. And if you're a people pleaser, you can't please the Lord. If you live to please people, you'll never please the Lord. And not only that, but if you seek to please people, it'll never work because you're going to get it from them if you try to do it and get it from them. If you if you don't do it, you might as well please the Lord. So when you lay down your head at night, you can be happy knowing that you please the Lord because you can't please people. I'll wait while you clap your hands there. You can't please people. David said, what shall I do for you? Look at verse three. And what atonement should I make? that I may bless the inheritance of the Lord. Now, David knew the scriptures. Got your pen? Exodus 21, 23, 25, Numbers 35. Exodus 21, 23, 25, Numbers 35 says, when a man's blood is shed, shedding of blood must take place for atonement. David said, what shall I do to make atonement to be a blessing? They said in verse 4, We don't want money, silver or gold. They said, we're asking for seven of Saul's sons to die. They said, give us seven men of Saul's house. Not, note this, not we want to exterminate Saul's house. They are showing more mercy than Saul showed them because they had the right to ask for everything in Saul's family and to be, have them put to death. So obviously the men who committed the murders were still alive and they have blood on their hands and they're guilty. And David said, I'll do it. Well, look at verse seven through nine. But the king in verse seven spared Mephibosheth. There's my boy. You all know I love Mephibosheth. That's my boy. I had that written in my margin. That's my homie. The king, verse seven, Spare Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And so the king took Armoni, Armani, 
the clothing guy, I guess. I don't know. So the king took Armoni or Armani and Mephibosheth. And the two sons, here you want to underline this. The two sons of Rispah, the daughter of Ai, or Ea, whom she bore to Saul, and underline this, five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Brasilii, the Maholathite. And he delivered them, in verse 9, into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on a hill before the Lord. And so they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, we have to stop right there. The king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, and this guy, Armoni, um, and Jonathan. He spared them. Now, again, I, I tell you that this is not in chronological order, and now you know that because we already talked about Mephibosheth on several different passages. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, I think of. Jonathan, you know, made a promise to show kindness to his family. David, David made a promise to show kindness to Jonathan, pardon me, and his family forever. And Jonathan was the grandson of Saul. Mephibosheth is the lame son of Jonathan. So David spared Mephibosheth, keeping his promise to Jonathan. Second Samuel chapter 9, David is in a time of rest. Were you with me in chapter 9? You know then. Pick up that CD. That's a good one. Second Samuel 9. David is in a time of rest and remembers the covenant he made with Jonathan concerning his family. And because Saul broke the covenant made with the Gibeonites, maybe this story here in 2 Samuel 21 is what caused David to remember and make good on the covenant that he made with David. So verse 7 tells us that David spared Mephibosheth because of the Lord's oath between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Mephibosheth was supposed to be the one who died because he's in the line of Saul. He was supposed to be the one who died. David is a covenant keeper. Saul is a covenant breaker. David is a covenant keeping king. Jesus is a covenant keeping king. So David spares Armani, Armoni, whatever, and Mephibosheth. Armoni is Mephibosheth's uncle. Notice David takes the, I had you underline it, two sons of Rispah. Rispah was one of Saul's concubines. David takes two sons of Rispah. Then notice, I had you underline, he also takes five sons of Michael. Michael is the daughter of Saul. Second Samuel chapter 6 tells us that Michael didn't have any children. All right, now watch this. Michael didn't have any children. First Samuel chapter 18 tells us Michael has a sister, and her name is Mirab. Mirab married Adriel the Maholathite. Adriel the Maholathite. The text says that the five sons of Michael, whom she brought up, in the Hebrew, I'm trying not to be too technical, but you have to get this. In the Hebrew, this word, or this, this phrase, these words, brought up, could also mean she was a midwife. So it's very possible that Mirab died or she left or something happened and then Michael raised her five sons. 
So David gave the five sons of Michael and the two sons of Rizpah into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged seven boys in total on a hill before the Lord in the days of the barley harvest. Look at verse 10. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. Did y'all just get what I said? All right. If not, you got to get the CD. I got to move forward. All right. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth, and she spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And then David went and he took the bones. Notice what he did. He took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the streets of Bashan, where the Philistines had hung them. And if you go to Israel, as you know, we go by there. We had sometimes stopped there, right? The streets of Bashan, where the Philistines had hung them after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. And so he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin, in Zila, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And so they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer, returned the reins, heeded the prayer for the land. Okay, saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Rispa, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and she spread it over herself. From the beginning of the harvest, that would be April, Bible students, April, May, until the late rains poured, October, November. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.